Hey, Pop Punk Posse. Welcome back. <laughs> Season 2, Episode 2. My name's Mike. Thanks so much for all the great feedback on last week's episode. We really appreciate it. I can't believe we hit 1K listeners on that one. Wild. Just the first day. You take a few months off, people miss you, and all of a sudden, you have this huge fan base. Crazy. It feels good to be missed. It does. It really does, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us again. As you guys remember, that's Mike. I'm Keenan. This week, we will be discussing Paramore's sophomore album, Riot. I'm surprised it's taken us this long to discuss Paramore. It's our first female vocalist. Yeah, I don't know why it's taken us so long, but I'm glad we finally got around to this one, Keenan. So am I, Mike. It's a great one, man. It really is. I can't wait, Mike. Let's stage dive in. As I mentioned, Mike, this is Paramore's second studio album. It was released on June 12th, 2007 through Fueled by Ramen as a follow-up to their debut album, All We Know is Falling. It was produced by David Bendeth. Yes, it was, Mike. As you know, you're the huge fan of producers and you know all about them. David Bendeth sounds like somebody who flatlined and was brought back to life he had a near-death experience <laughs> just because he has death in his name yeah like he's already been death oh nice yeah it is a pretty punk rock name all these new people are trying to die i've already been death yeah he's like over it been there done that right been there done death the album received generally positive reviews from music critics who praised its sound and noted its crossover potential so not only was this on alternative radio but also was hitting the pop stations as well. I remember hearing it on those stations, Keenan. It was successful in the U.S., reaching number 15 on the Billboard 200 and achieving double platinum status in March of 2016. Misery Business, which was the lead single of the album, was considered the band's breakthrough hit, and it was credited with introducing the band to a more mainstream audience. From late June until late August, Paramore went on the 2007 edition of Warp Tour. In October and November, the group went on a co-headlining tour in the U.S. with The Starting Line. Starting Line. It's a band we know and love. We love them. And that summer, obviously going on Warp Tour, that's a rite of passage for pop punk bands. I think that was the first time that Paramore was on that tour, so pretty big deal for them. Unfortunately, early the next year, when they were still promoting this album, they had to cancel their European leg of the tour to work on quote-unquote personal issues amidst media speculation of the band breaking up. I remember Paramore as a band that went through a lot of early drama, I think went through a lot of continued drama throughout their popularity, and this was just one instance of that. I think it was an early instance of that. So much drama. Drama. As we'll probably see in a lot of these songs, Mike, they are no stranger to drama. You gotta love it, Keenan. Hey, Keenan. Hey, Mike. What in the world is going on here? On June 10th, 2007, the TV show The Sopranos aired its series finale on HBO with the infamous cut-to-black ending. You've watched Sopranos, right? I think we discussed it when we had Kev Maida from Knucklepuck on. You've watched that before, have you not? 
No, I have started watching it. Oh, that's right. How far deep are you? Did did I just spoil it for you? Oh, no. Like, I've seen the cut to black ending. Okay, good. You know about that? Um, I've picked up bits and pieces of the show, and that's one of those things where I don't think you can really spoil something decades after the fact. Yeah, I agree with you. But those hour-long episodes are hard to get through um, for me, personally, not in general. They're very uh, interesting and keep my attention, but I am more on a half-hour show schedule with Jack. You know, watch a half-hour show, then go to bed. Yeah. But I'm probably uh, about three-quarters of the way through the first season. Oh, okay. So you're really far back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did not put a dent in it since the fall no. at all. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> yeah. As you know, the series finale was a huge deal. Lots of people talking about it. People either loved it or hated it. A lot of discussion around it. And I think it had one of the most viewed series finales of all time, if I remember correctly. It was huge. And I think... It- it's one of those shows where it's still very present in pop culture today. You see a lot of Soprano memes floating around. I found a Twitter the other day. What was the son's name? Anthony. He was Anthony Jr. That's right. So, And this is kind of relevant to us because he wore a lot of interesting styles back in the day. He a did, lot of yeah. different band t-shirts and, and band jackets. So there's a Twitter account that actually documents his outfits throughout different episodes oh really yes one in particular he has this incredible slipknot jacket or win- a slipknot windbreaker yeah and slipknot actually re-released it so you can buy it if you want to dress like anthony soprano i do yeah from 2001 i was just thinking i really want to dress like him i'm pretty sure he'd always wear like tall tees too because he was a little bit chubby <laughs> back when the tv show aired i could see myself wearing a slipknot tall tee or windbreak or whatever it was oh for sure i'm a part of that tall tee life you got to have enough fabric to still maintain the belly after a meal or something like that <laughs> i love that that's like a pretty serious consideration of yours <laughs> well 2xl just gets the job done i don't really have to think about it anymore just get the right size yeah okay that's fair there are some times when i'm like can i pull off this xl and I can, but there's just not enough wiggle room. I hear you. On June 12th, Transformers had its world premiere in Australia, directed by Michael Bay and starring Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox. It debuted a few weeks later in the U.S. That was a big one. That was a huge one, right? Yeah, Transformers was, and I guess you could say is, a pretty big franchise huge franchise i know that you like i were a fan of the old cartoons back in the day what did you think of the movie franchise the big blockbuster movie franchise i thought they were fun i don't think anybody expected cinematic masterpieces out of them and as long as you went into them with lower expectations and just wanted to be entertained and have a good time i think they were successful in doing that have you seen them all? There's been like, I don't know, what, four or five? There's been a bunch. I think I stopped after the second one, honestly. Yeah, I think I did too. <laughs> I don't know how many there have been after that, and I haven't seen any of the spinoffs like Bumblebee or anything like that. Yeah, there's been a bunch. They replaced a lot of the actors, but I thought that was very interesting. I remember when they were filming the second movie, it was on Princeton's campus. They filmed a few scenes at, at Princeton. They filmed a few scenes at Penn. 
because apparently that's where Megan Fox was supposed to be going to school and Shia was visiting her or something. And I was there when they were filming it. And I remember walking up to the set in this courtyard and seeing them acting out this one scene and like Megan Fox was there and Shia LaBeouf came over to the group of us that was watch that were watching it. And I remember I had a vitamin water bottle and he signed it for me. And then I asked him for a hug and he just looked at me. He's like, are you crazy, bro? And just walked away. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. Shia turned down my hug. That's pretty cool. Do you still have the water bottle? I have lost that. I think I lost it that day. <laughs> so <laughs> You drank the water and then just recycled it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, a fun little memory about the Transformers movie franchise. Yeah. Man, since 2007, Shia's had an up and down career. He's had quite the run, yeah. <laughs> it's always exciting seeing what he's in the news for because sometimes it's interesting and funny or lighthearted and then the rest of the time it's very dark yeah <laughs> like him getting drunk and arrested smoking a cigarette in a crowded theater yeah yeah i guess the only time it's been funny is last summer when they did the reading of fast times at ridgemont high and he was spicoli yeah i saw that that was yeah. great and i mean i guess it wasn't might not even have been that funny because he was either high or on something and everybody just was laughing at him so he's a method actor he was just in his role you know yeah june 14th music producer and alleged con artist lou perlman is arrested in indonesia and deported to the u.s at the time he was accused of defrauding over 1800 individual investors out of a total of 317 million dollars and then i'm pretty sure he went through a pretty lengthy trial and went to jail and i didn't look into it but i think he may have died in jail that sounds right he was a very overweight individual he was overweight yeah <laughs> but he was the guy who basically produced tons of the famous mid-2000s boy bands like i don't know backstreet boys in sync he had that tv show making the band where he basically put together o-town remember that mm -hmm. he was behind a lot of those musical acts Right. The fact that he was able to not just Backstreet Boys, but also NSYNC is pretty incredible. Was he both of those? He was. Okay, wow. Yeah, so he's like the boy band expert. But I remember he was everywhere, and I remember seeing him on the TV show Making the Band, and then a couple years later, behind bars. It's a shame. That's one of those things where he probably had so much money as it was yeah did he really have to defraud all these people for an additional 300 million dollars we'll never I, know <laughs> i guess i need to read up on him i wonder if he mismanaged that money and he was constantly behind the eight ball but i think it was a ponzi scheme like i think he knew what he was doing and i think he had it all kind of figured out knew that it was this big scam and eventually got caught but no i i kind of want to read about it too now we'll report back his life is one where I feel like it would be a good Lifetime movie, and then everybody would be like, oh, that's interesting, and then it would become a big, like a big box office picture later on. Maybe, yeah. It's very specific, but yeah. I'm thinking of Richard Jewell, how he kind of became popular again in the past few years. Oh, yeah. That there was that true. Clint Eastwood movie and then that docuseries, but it wasn't, it was like a... A drama. It wasn't a docuseries. Yeah. The Lou Pearlman story. 
Maybe you can produce it. That would be interesting. I guess I'm mostly just associating him with Richard Jewell because they're both fat. Yeah, that's probably what it is. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. June 27th, Gordon Brown becomes Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. There you go. Some British news, Mike. Some news from across the pond, Keenan. We always like to check in with the Brits. Always. That's right. The day prior, on June 26th, Tony Blair and Arnold Schwarzenegger held talks at 10 Downing Street on Blair's last day as Prime Minister on environment, climate change, and some other key issues. <laughs> I just love that on Tony Blair's final day, priority, Arnold Schwarzenegger. They probably had been meaning to do it for a while, and they both just had busy schedules, and he called him, and he's like, Arnie, I've only got a day left. Let's do this. <laughs> it's either now or never. Is that when he was still the governor? He must have been, right? It must have been, but this is the perfect example for politicians, Keenan. Oh, let's have all these important uh, discussions the day before I'm leaving office. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you going to do about it now, you idiot? Nothing like last minute, Mike. Yeah. We wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> he just wanted Arnold to sign his vitamin water. <laughs> do you think Arnold Schwarzenegger gave him a hug? Probably not. He could have ended him if he gave him a hug. <laughs> he probably could have, yeah. <laughs> Literally hugged the life out of him. <laughs> it's good to see the U.S. and the U.K., you know, so close. Arnold had to fly across the country, then across to England, so he must have really wanted to go. Yeah, it was a big deal for him. It's like us flying to Hawaii. It's a, it's way more annoying than... The payoff? No, I'm just saying, like, for us to fly to England, it's one thing. But for somebody from the West Coast to fly, it's an additional, what, four or five hours? Yeah, it's a commitment, for sure. They don't go the other way, do they? <laughs> no. That would take <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> I have no idea how big the world I'm is. I'm no pilot, but I'm pretty sure that's not the optimal route. <laughs> the scenic route. It's definitely the scenic route. On June 29th, the company Apple Inc. releases the iPhone to great fanfare. So that was the first release of the iPhone, June 29th, 2007. Wow. Crazy. Sometimes it feels like it was longer ago. Sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah, it's wild. What was the phone that you had in 2007? I had to think of mine earlier, but I think I figured it out. So my first ever phone, which I got freshman year of high school, was an LG flip phone. Mm. And back, in fact, for a while, it was two-year contract. So I had that for two years. So in 2007, I think we might have had the same phone, but I think you might have had a newer version than I did. I had a red Verizon chocolate. Oh, yeah, the chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Um. I definitely had the chocolate at one point in time. I think before that, I had a Kyocera. Do you remember Kyocera's? No. I'm pretty sure. If I show you a picture, you'd probably recognize it, but it was so basic. It was so crappy. It had snake on it, which was cool, but it was just like this really, really primitive like, cell phone. Like the skinny brick? Yeah, it was basically a skinny brick. With an antenna? Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had that. Did you have that in 2007? Well, I didn't have a cell phone until early high school. So right. like this was mid high school. I don't know if I had the Kyocera in 2007, but it was my first phone. It was a hand-me-down, I think from Chelsea. And then 
I think mid high school was probably the chocolate. I think in 2007 was the chocolate. Okay, because I remember I had the they did like the chocolate version one, and I had that, and then yeah, one day you showed up on the bus and you had the, the better newer version. Yeah, I just had to one up you. I literally went home and I was like, "Mom, <laughs> get me the better chocolate." <laughs> the chocolate was the one that kind of slid up. Yep, exactly. I still have that somewhere, actually. I, I think swear, I might too. My dad had that same phone you did. My mom had the Motorola, which I think was the first really popular flip phone. Yep. And that, the Kyocera phone came free with that for some, it was some promotion. So he got that phone. And then that became the phone before I got my first cell phone. That was what they would give me, like for baseball practice, like call the house when you need to be picked up. Yep. It was essentially like a piece of trash that just could, could call home if necessary. And yeah. it had snake on it. Yeah, it was the emergency phone with Snake. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. In case of emergency, play Snake. Yeah. Some celebrity weddings, Mike. 2007 celebrity weddings. Mmm, give them to me, Keenan. And you'll notice, Mike, I picked these because they follow a theme. You ready? I'm ready. June 1, legendary crooner Tony Bennett weds his longtime girlfriend Susan Crow in New York City. At the time, he was 80 she was 47. A little bit of an age difference. Slightly, yeah. Later that month, June 16th, rock singer Rod Stewart weds model Penny Lancaster. At the time, he was 62. She was 36. Are you, see, are you seeing the trend? I'm seeing a trend. These are uh, some older gentlemen that enjoy the company of a younger woman. Nothing wrong with that, Mike. Nothing wrong with that. And I mean... In Tony Bennett's case, it's not his fault. He's just old. Susan yeah. was 47. It wasn't like she was some <laughs> fresh out of college girl or something. No, but to him, she probably seemed that way. Yeah. That's how old he was. But what's also interesting is I'm pretty sure it was their third marriage each. And to this day, they're still with the person they wed in 2007. Wow. So there you go. How about that? True love. You can't put an age on true love. You cannot, Mike. Love works in mysterious ways. It certainly does. And then a final celebrity death here, Mike. June 24th. We all know you're a huge WWE fan. Chris Benoit, Canadian professional wrestler, dies at the age of 40. And as we know, it was very sad circumstances. Yeah, that's one of the more fascinating, morbidly fascinating uh, instances that I've come across in like I'll listen to different true crime podcasts and eventually they all discuss this incident where, you know, he killed his wife and his son and then killed himself. And it's it's awful. It's it's tragic. But the the interesting part is they studied his brain after the fact. They found that he had the mental capacity of like a eighty five year old with Alzheimer's or something like that. Wasn't his like signature move at the time basically jumping off the top rope and headbutting somebody? Yeah, and he did that for years. I'm it's sure like, he had on, dude. dozens of concussions and yeah, bad CTE. Yeah, for sure. It was still a time when nobody. It's like, oh, I got my bell rung. Like that's all it was. Like yeah, shake exactly. it off. Yeah, shake it off. Rub some dirt on it. And you see this every once in a while. It's always unfortunate. Usually, it's just a suicide, which is still awful. But this case was just really, really sad. Yeah, it was bad. And we know more today. So that's good. Hopefully that means going forward that doctors will learn more about how to treat that sort of thing and prevent it, ideally. 
And on that happy note, Mike, what are some themes that we know from this album? This album explores a diverse range of styles. It doesn't stray far from their debut album, the sound they really carved out with that one. Musically, the style does vary quite a bit from song to song. I noticed that too. It's not like a typical pop punk album where all the songs sound exactly the same. Occasionally, they'll throw a slow one in there, go back to a fast one. Like They definitely try different things in their sophomore installment. Definitely. When one song changes to the other, you know that you're listening to a new piece of music. Yeah. Which I don't think is always the case with some bands. Yeah, for sure. I think the most common theme in this album is definitely relationship. And it's all types of relationships. Failing relationships, blossoming relationships. There's themes of jealousy and betrayal, but there's also this theme of faith and redemption. Haley Williams is, she's a devout Christian. And so a lot of those Christian themes pop up in this album and in her songs. Actually, more so than I remembered. Reading the lyrics, it's more obvious than when you're just listening to the song a few times. Right. I don't remember that either, but, you know, Haley is not, she doesn't shy away from the fact that she is a Christian and that obviously does affect her songwriting style and what she chooses to put into her song. So I think that gives a cool perspective on things. Yeah, I agree. And it is nice to have songs that, there are definitely some sadder songs on this album, but it's always nice to have some hopeful, optimistic songs in there as well. I know we always like seeing that. So what do you remember from this album? When did you first hear it? Did you first hear it when it first came out or did you listen to it a little bit later? I first heard of Paramore because of Misery Business. I think I heard the song prior to ever listening to this album. And I know I listened to this album before I ever listened to their first album. I know I had this album. I know somebody burned it for me. I don't remember who, but if I had to guess, I think it would be our old buddy Brian Caps from the prep. Yeah. Wasn't he always a huge fan of Paramore? Yeah. Brian is like a super fan of Paramore. So You think he still is to this day? Yeah, I think he is because I, I follow him on Twitter and I want to say that I've seen him posting about it pretty recently. I mean, they haven't put out new hmm. music in a couple of years, but I don't think he ever lost that fandom. I think... I think he'll probably say they're his favorite band. So that's why I think he was the one that got this to me because I probably heard Misery Business and knew who to ask for the rest of the CD. And I've liked them since then. They're not one of the bands that I ever really got really into. Like, I always listen to their stuff, but, you know, we've discussed other bands that I got obsessed with. And I was never obsessed with them, but I always dug their sound. No, I think you and I were in the same boat. Misery Business was the one that really introduced me to Paramore. By 2007, though, this is when I and probably you were kind of deep into our pop punk phase. And so when this came out, I was already listening to a bunch of bands. I was listening to Alternative on the radio. And so listening to these songs was just kind of an everyday occurrence for me. It just kind of fit into what I was already doing at the time. So I think... I didn't lose a beat with them. I think I heard a couple of their songs on the radio and explored a little bit more, listened to the album fully through. Same. Wasn't obsessed with it. Didn't listen to it on repeat, but I was very familiar with most of these songs. I found that surprising that I remembered so many of these. And I never realized how many of them were singles, too. Yeah, a bunch of them. 
Also, it's important to mention, Mike, that I also had a huge crush on Haley Williams back in the day. I mean, who didn't, you know? Many of us fell into that web. A lot of these songs are about us, Mike. Let's, let's be honest. She was singing directly to us. The ones that are about how guys are awful are the ones that are about hopefulness and getting through <laughs> a rocky part of your relationship. Yes. Okay. I'll take it. I've always loved Haley Williams. I think she's just such an interesting figure as a front woman. And she was always changing up her hairstyles and her makeup styles. Yeah. And that was always kind of a cool aspect of this group that you didn't really get with a lot of other bands at the time. There was a lot of artistry to what they were doing. I would equate it to almost like a My Chemical Romance, where they put a lot of effort not into just their music, but into their videos and their live shows. There was just a lot of pizzazz to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So track one, Mike. Let's get right into it. For a pessimist, I'm pretty optimistic. And I think this is the first time this has happened, but this is my favorite song on the album. Whoa, really? Mm-hmm. So the intro track is your favorite song. Is that what you're saying is the first time? Yep. And you know what else? Uh, No, what? It has my tattoo line. Whoa, you're just throwing everything at <laughs> yep. me at once? Yeah. I can't handle this. This is overload. It's funny because this has not been my historical favorite song. But in listening to this album again, I just found this one constantly stuck in my head. So you decided this week that is your favorite song. I didn't decide anything. <laughs> it just was. It just spoke to you? Yeah. Wow, that's huge. Well, why do you like it so much? I love it. I love the guitar. I love how the song starts off. And I don't know how to describe this, but it sounds like the song had already been going on. And we just kind of yeah. came into it mid-riff. We're jumping into the middle of it, yeah. Yeah, it's so great. Because it starts in such a exciting way. Mm-hmm. Yep. But my tattoo line is, I'm not so naive, my sorry eyes can see. Wow. Powerful. I can relate to that as being young and naive. Like today. Why was I young and naive today? No, you're, you're just still young and naive, you know? Oh, yeah. You're still bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what different 
sex things are, like marks on bedposts. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I still have that youthful innocence about That's me. That's right, yep. Obviously, I remember this line from back in the day, but it's still relative to my life. Every once in a while, you think like somebody's not giving you enough recognition or they think less of you and you just want to say, I'm not that naive. My sorry eyes can see. So that's powerful. So where do you want it? It's got to be somewhere visible. People can see it, right? Oh, okay. So last week I did both middle fingers. That's right. What if I do this on both of my eyelids? Ooh, that is bold. When I close my eyes, when I close my eyes on one, you'll see I'm not so naive on the other. My sorry eyes can see. And then I'll open them like. (laughs) It's going to have to be really small font to fit on your eyelids, though. Like, would people be able to read that? I'm not so naive. My sorry. Eyes can see. (laughs) I do like that you're putting the word eyes on your eyes. There's something Mm -hmm. very meta about that. Yeah. Why overthink it? Yeah. It's cool. Okay. That's good. Well, what's the song about? I mean, you just dove right in, but what's it actually I did. about? I know. I, I had to get that out of the way. Yeah, that's fair. This song's about a historically pessimistic person who usually thinks the worst thing's going to happen, but they're in this relationship where they feel good about it. They feel like this could be something different, but then they're let down and it ends up that they were right all along, and the person that they were with is not all they were cracked up to be. Yeah, I agree. And I think they're kind of realizing it through the song. And it's almost as if they're realizing that it was always doomed from the start. Like there was no way this relationship was going to work out, but they were so optimistic about it that they were kind of blind to it for a while. I put my faith in you so much faith, and then you just threw it away. You're just betrayed by that person. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, she's really putting herself out on a limb. Like, this is not in her nature to be this trusting and this giving to a person, and he takes advantage of that. Yep, she's totally blindsided, and it just goes down in flames. But this theme of relationships that are doomed from the start, and you're trying to hold out hope, and it ends up burning you, we've seen that countless times. I think we saw that last week in Fallout Boy, right? Mm -hmm. It's a pretty common theme, but I was curious, Mike. Do you consider yourself to be more an optimist or more a pessimist? I think I'm definitely more pessimistic, historically. Mm, I've been trying to be more optimistic as of late, but throughout my life, I usually think the worst things are going to happen. And then I'm pleasantly surprised when that's not the case. Mm, That's a fun way to look at it, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than let down what about you i think i'm definitely an optimist oh (laughs) but that's why we work so well mike you're the yin to my yang it's funny because (laughs) in terms of this podcast it's the exact opposite you always think everything (laughs) is gonna suck and i say oh it'll probably be okay yeah that's true it's usually just okay (laughs) yeah it's right in the middle (laughs) it's great yeah so i guess we're both right yeah no it's perfect Well, that is an interesting thought, huh? I will say we're really overloading this episode, but I didn't have one last week, but this song is my doppelganger song. The chorus of the song sounds very familiar to me. It sounds just like the chorus of Newfound Glory song 47. 
my gosh. Yeah. You're right. Can't you hear it, Mike? I can. I don't know if it's the guitar chords or the way that they sing it, but it just kind of flows the same way. So whenever I hear this song, I automatically hear the Newfound Glory song. And that's an interesting doppelganger because, as we know, Haley Williams of Paramore was married to Chad Gilbert, lead guitarist of Newfound Glory, for many years. Haley's collaborated with NFG in the past, too. So yep. interesting that those two groups, at least in your ears, are similar. In our ears, Mike. I'm glad you got that out of the way because I'm sure a lot of our fans last week were waiting for the Doppelganger All episode. They didn't get one. I know. They thought, is this something new for season two? Keenan doesn't do Doppelgangers anymore? Fear not. Guess what, everybody? <laughs> we're back. <laughs> and I will say, to make up for last week, I may have one more tiny Doppelganger later in the episode. A baby Doppelganger? A baby Doppelganger. Yeah. Aww, How's that for nice. a tease? I hope you do after you teased it. Track number two, massive hit from the album, That's What You Get. This one seemed fairly straightforward to me. The theme of when you listen to your heart over your head, you'll get burned every time. I think it's definitely talking more towards immature people or immature relationships because when you're young, you typically listen to your heart more than your head. And then as you kind of grow up and as you experience relationships, then you're seasoned enough to listen to your head more often than your heart. And we discussed this last week with Fall Out Boy, too. When you first meet somebody and you first are falling in love with them, everything seems great, and there's nothing that can possibly tarnish them. But the more you go on, like your heart kind of takes a backseat to these different senses that you're getting. Like Maybe everything isn't exactly the way you originally perceived it to be, and I think that's what we're seeing in this song. Something we didn't really get into with Fall Out Boy is the song alludes to the fact that when you're with somebody and you're just so focused on just them, you kind of isolate yourself from your friends and different people in your life. Yeah. That line really stood out to me because I can think of countless occasions in my life where, you know, there's a friend, guy or a girl, and they get into a new relationship and they just kind of, you don't hear from them and couple months go by, they pop back into the picture, and it's like, where have you been? It's like, oh, I just broke up. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, there's been so many of those situations. I won't list any here, but um, yeah, that's a pretty common thing. I think definitely in like the college slash young adult time period, I've seen that so many times with pretty close friends who just kind of fall in and out of your life because they're drawn to certain people and they're sucked into a whole different life, essentially. I wonder if, and I can safely say that I don't think that's ever happened to me because I married the first girl I dated and I'm still friends with you and we've been friends my whole life. So, Except for that period of time where she really stole you from us. <laughs> that's right. No, that never happened. It was five long years. But I've always wondered if the person that is isolating themselves, whether they realize that that's happening or if they kind of come out of this fog afterwards and think, man, all my friends have just been trying to reach out to me or trying to hang out with me and I just haven't been myself. Like they were so caught up in it that they didn't even realize it was happening. I could totally see that happening. I think it's probably a combination. I feel like they oftentimes realize that they're not seeing their close friends as much anymore, but they probably don't realize to what extent. And that doesn't always mean that the relationship is bad or toxic. I think it could be just people are so infatuated with one another they don't even realize it's happening. I think that's that also can be the case. But I think if you ever are in a relationship and the other person intentionally tries to not hang out with your friends or not do stuff with the people that you care about. That's bad. That's a big red flag. Total red flag. Yeah. It did remind me of a scene from Seinfeld. Are you familiar with Seinfeld? Oh, of course. Yeah. I haven't seen every single episode, but I'm familiar with a fair amount of them. Okay. There's a scene in the first season. It's one of the earliest episodes where Jerry's dating a girl who's, the way he describes her is she's very attractive, but very unintelligent. And he basically can't hold a conversation with her, can't find anything she says interesting. And he explains to George that it's like his brain and his penis are having a chess game. (laughs) And sometimes the brain is winning because he's like, oh, I can't be with this girl if I can't have an intelligent conversation with her. And then sometimes his penis is winning because he's like, all he cares about is how attractive she is. And the sexual aspect of the relationship. I thought that was really funny because as soon as I read the lyrics, I was like, oh yeah, Jerry talks about that. And I guess his brain ends up winning that one, right? In the episode, his brain ends up winning, yeah. Yeah. And he breaks up with her because he just can't stand the conversations he's having with her. Seinfeld really did think of everything. Yeah, I bet Paramore just stole it from that scene. They probably did. It's like there's a German word for every situation or emotion that the english language can't describe but in our culture there's a seinfeld reference for everything that there's not a word for (laughs) yeah that's very true so this song had a music video do you remember the music video yeah it was kind of weird i rewatched it and not a lot happened i'm gonna throw this out there right now most of the music videos that are associated with songs on this album are kind of weird not that substantive like just not a lot happens i hate to say it because i think for the most part the music videos coincide with some really good songs but i agree there's not a ton going on they're not necessarily bad but just watching them again and like really paying attention to them i'm like what was the point of that like what happened in that music video you know when i said i didn't remember that there were so many singles on this album 
Yeah. I think it's because for the most part, these albums that came out during this time period, I remember the song so well because I constantly watched the music videos. Right. Yeah. And that just wasn't the case with, with these. No. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. So the music video, it's basically Paramore performing in their house and they're performing kind of at a house party. And in the background, there's this relationship going on and there's a happy couple and then they kind of go through a rough patch and then it kind of ends in a happy way where they're back together. That's basically all that happens. So there's not a whole lot going on, but there is kind of a cool backstory to it. Remember how I talked about them canceling that European leg of their tour because there was all this internal drama. There were rumors that they were going to break up. Yeah. I do remember that from 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, they were planning to film this music video when that was happening and they abandoned all their plans to do like some big high budget fancy music video. And they decided we're just going to get all of our close friends together and just basically have a party and perform for them. So I thought that was kind of cool. Knowing that backstory makes it a little bit more interesting. Otherwise, it's just kind of a boring scene unfolding. Yeah, that does make it more interesting and probably very therapeutic for the group during that time. I think so. So I think it was really more for them than it was for us. And I can appreciate that. I kind of get that. I was trying to give it more meaning. Like, does it symbolize that you can have your separate relationship, but the the herd or the group will go on with or without you? Because... It's just like this group of kids, people hanging out throughout the whole time and this right. couple's fighting and then they make up and it's like, they're all literally still just standing behind Paramore while they play. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they thought that far into it. I don't know. I don't think they did. I don't think they did either. I like that you're trying though. I like that you're trying to give it a little <laughs> bit more meaning. Yeah, I'm trying. This song also has an incredible sing-along aspect to it. It does. Oh, it totally does. This must be a fun one to see live. I would definitely think so, yeah. Track number three, Hallelujah. Here's a little flavor of that Christian background, Mike. I love that Christian flavor. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. It's a pretty feel-good song about overcoming tough times, I think. This time we're not giving up. That's right. This is the second single off the album. It's my historical favorite. I think that's a term you coined last week with XO. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Historically, this was my favorite song. It was basically a way for me to just claim two favorites. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just kind of cheating the system with that, yeah. Yeah. But no, I've always loved this song. Haley really demonstrates her 
vocal range on this one. Mm -hmm. There's a couple on here where they're pretty straightforward pop punk songs, but this one, like the chorus, she really goes for it, I think. And I think it's worth pointing out that compared to a lot of the other contemporary pop punk bands, she was one of the best singers, right? I mean, her vocal range, the things she was able to do as a singer was unmatched in this genre, in my opinion. Absolutely. Especially, you know, as a woman, she's able to hit those high notes that just by the facts of life, a lot of guys just can't hit. And I just never realized how young she was during all of this. She sounds incredible and she's like 19 years old. Yeah. Pretty astonishing looking back at it. Yeah, it is. As I mentioned before, lots of Christian references in this one. It's called Hallelujah. She sings Hallelujah. She talks about doves. She does like to discuss faith in her music. And I think it's really prevalent in this song. I actually read that the Farrow brothers, who were the lead guitarist and drummer of the band, they cited differing attitudes on faith as a contributing factor for their exit from Paramore. So the fact that she wanted to constantly discuss it and wanted to have these themes, I think was a point of contention in the band and probably led to some of that drama that we talked about. Interesting. I think you can definitely see the Christian imagery, but it's also pretty relatable stuff for just your everyday life, no matter what your denomination or belief system, I would yeah, say. Totally is, yeah. Just the hopefulness and trying to hold on and have patience and see things through, even during the toughest times when it, it just doesn't seem like anything good is coming down the pike. Before we get into the music video, Mike, this is the other song where there's kind of a doppelganger. It's not a huge one, but the guitar riff in the intro is very reminiscent of a Taken Back Sunday song, You Know How I Do. You can hear that, right? You can hear the similarities. Yeah. yeah. Is it like the isolated guitar? It is, yeah. The notes and the strumming pattern is just very similar. And then all the instruments come in kind of at once. There's kind of a heavy drum beat that drops. And when I was re-listening to the song, all I kept thinking about was the Tig Mac Sunday song. So it's not throughout the song. They're definitely not that similar in most ways, but the intro does sound kind of alike. Nice. The music video. What's the music video? This is... The second type of pop-punk music video, Keenan, backstage footage and tour clips. Every band has one. There's an unspoken pop-punk rule. It's you need one of these per album. Right. You want to release another single. You're trying to watch your budget a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's just splice together all the stuff we already have. Put it out in a creative format. You know, the, there are the lyrics of the song that are flashing on the screen as well, so... It's fun. You know, it's fun. Are these meant to be like an advertisement for their live shows? Like, look how much fun we have. You got to buy a ticket and come see us. I think part of it is definitely for advertising purposes. 
yeah, it's definitely showing how fun the shows are. But I think a lot of groups do this kind of video to just show that they're just normal, fun-loving people. <laughs> yeah, look how normal we are on stage in front of thousands of people. We're just normal peeps. You said before you would try to consume every piece of Sum 41 like backstage because you just love seeing them. I love like, it. What are they really like? And for the most part, they really are just kids on Warp Tour. But That's right. No, but I do love these types of music videos. I think I actually enjoy these more than the story music videos, to be honest, because I, I just love live shows. I love seeing these bands in action, and I do like the behind-the-scenes stuff. So, no, I like this video, and I like this type of video. Would you say that this type of video usually doesn't coincide with the single that's, like, the single? Oh, yeah. This is always, like, the third or fourth single every single time. Yep. Yeah. They already have one or two hits. And they want another single and need a cool video to go with it. Totally. They just try something different. Yeah. I would say that that's very accurate. Track number four. Here's the mega hit of the album, Misery Business. First single. First single. Major mainstream success. Pretty straightforward lyrically about a girl who wants to date a guy who's already in a relationship with another girl who she doesn't like. And so she waits out the relationship. She essentially steals the guy and then she throws it in the face of that girl. I would say that aside from it just musically being an enjoyable song. I would say that that theme itself stood out to a lot of people back then because you didn't really hear too many girls saying, I never meant to brag, but I got him where I want him now, calling this girl a whore. It was all very new stuff. I think it was new, but also how many other bands at the time were this big with a female lead singer? Not many. Right? Like you couldn't be a guy and call a girl a whore. And then everybody be like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like that would get flagged right away. And from the guy's perspective, there are plenty of songs about being cheated on or, you know, breakups and makeups and new flings. Mm -hmm. But I like the spin that Haley's able to put on it. I will say after I kind of thought through it a little bit more, the male equivalent that I could think of was Blink's Dysentery Gary. Yeah, you're right. That comes up way more than it should. Yeah, because that song was about how he hated the guy that the girl of his affection was dating. In his mind, it was like the most horrible person in the world. The woman in this song is just another diarrhea giver. That's all it is. That's right. And I know that the protagonist comes off as mean-spirited here, but let's point out that she did wait eight long months until they broke up. That's right. She did. She didn't try to cheat with him she didn't seduce him yeah right so yeah was it nice that she called her a whore no that's <laughs> not nice that's never nice <laughs> but there's a lot of deep-seated 
emotions here that probably go back long before we're privy to any of it. So there's only so many courses and verses we have. That's one way to look at it. Sure, it's one way to look at it. Can I admit that I always thought the lyrics were, I never meant to break. Like, I didn't know she was singing the word brag up until this week. Interesting. And what would that mean? I never meant to break. I don't know. Hmm. A lot of my misheard lyrics, they don't necessarily make sense. It's just what I've True. always heard. Wait, you didn't know that until this week? Yeah. Is that like up until wow. I read the lyrics. Oh, interesting. I didn't know what it meant in relation to the rest of the song. I just, I don't know. I never meant to break, like break you up or I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's great. I made up my own meaning for it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's one way to do it. Because she does kind of like trail off a little bit. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of musical parts going on. Yeah, there are. I bet you there's somebody out there who's with me. I bet you this is a not just me that misheard this word. If anybody also heard the word break, you know where to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Poppunkproj at gmail.com. Brag is an odd word to kind of hear in a song anyway, in my opinion. It is. No, it totally is. But that's why it stood out, I think, to most people. She's essentially bragging about stealing this guy away from this girl and you're like whoa oh yeah it makes total sense and i should have put it together a long time ago but yeah an interesting thing to point out mike is in later years in more recent years Haley williams and members of the band did get some pushback they did receive some criticism for the misogynistic lyrics in this song i think in particular during you know the times of me too and people really starting to push back on using words like whore, Haley Williams got some strong opinions from feminist groups. And I actually read, never knew this, but I read the other day that in September 2018 at a concert, Haley Williams announced that the band will not be playing the song for a very long time due to their sexist and anti-feminist lines. And I don't know, I guess in the last couple of years, they just haven't performed it. It's funny because I saw that same... That same factoid Uh in the depths of my research this week. I have a couple thoughts. Did our research team send you that note as well? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks, interns. Yeah. W. Ikepedia, our research assistant. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh So I think, yeah, obviously it's mean-spirited, but it's also a made-up pop song, you know? Or is it? I think it could be a real story. I think this may have actually happened. It could be, but who cares? Mm, Feminist groups do. I think that's like, (laughs) if you pick apart every single song or every single movie, then what are you going to have? Just straight-laced, clean-cut, boring songs and movies constantly. Yeah. Mike, I'm with you. I, you I think this is a piece of art, and I think for what it was, when it came out at that point in time, I think... It had some appeal and it was interesting. And, you know, you can look back on a lot of things and make some decisions about it. But no, I agree with you. But this is what I think it's a double standard just because the lead singer is a woman. There's plenty of guys like we talked about plenty of songs where like, ooh, probably wouldn't want to write this one today. Yeah. And they're not making amends for it or not performing it anymore. It's just, yeah, that was a part of its time. It had a place then. Maybe it doesn't have a place now. But. Let's move on. I don't know. Yeah. The other part of that 
is I saw the same thing September 7, 2018. They said this will be the last time we play it. And I thought, man, what are their set lists look like without this mega hit? And they haven't had a concert since that concert. Oh, really? That was the last concert they performed. Well, I guess they haven't really been together. And then with COVID and everything. 2020 yeah. was ripped, like wiped out. Right, yeah. But at least this is just according to setlist.fm. Mm, okay. But that site is very accurate in terms of dates and, and set lists. So I, I take it that they really haven't performed since then, since they haven't released new music. So I guess we'll just have to see what the future holds. So Right? Are they just hoping enough time goes by that people forget they said that? We won't forget. We're not going to forget, Haley. We'll never forget. <laughs> and then the music video associated with the song. Again, I thought... The performance part of the song where the band is playing is actually really, really cool. Like, there's a cool backdrop. They're all wearing cool stuff. They're clearly really into it. That's pretty fun and interesting. But then the story part of this song is pretty stupid. Yeah, the story part's incredibly stupid. <laughs> the performance part is great because they're performing in a room that pretty much looks like their album cover. Yeah, It has right. the word Riot written all over it. So that's awesome. Yeah, the storyline is it's very simple and doesn't really have anything to do with the lyrics in the song, which confused me a little bit. It's this bully at school, a girl bully, and she just walks through school being mean to people. She pushes a cheerleader. Yeah. She cuts a girl's braid off. She <laughs> pushes a kid down who's in an arm sling. Yeah, I was waiting for there to be this confrontation between a girl who's dating a guy and then the one girl wanting that guy. That never happened. It was basically just a mean girl walking through a high school. There was the part where she just took a guy in the hall and made out with him in front of his girlfriend. I thought that was going to be the storyline. It wasn't. But then it just, she was just being mean to that girl. <laughs> it all comes to a head when Paramore walks out of a classroom and confronts this girl and Haley pulls... The thing she stuffs her bra with to yeah. make her boobs look bigger. She pulls they're like, them out of her bra. They're like silicone pads or something. They're like implants, but on the outside. Yeah, that was yeah. very unusual very to me. Very weird. And yeah. in the Wikipedia description of the song, it refers to them as like chicken breast or chicken. Oh, yeah. They call them chicken cutlets, I think, in the in show business. Oh, okay. So that's an actual yeah. term. I thought it somebody is, just yeah. edited that and it never got <laughs> no. fixed. <laughs> no. <laughs> seeing if anybody would notice this nice chicken weird cutlet thing sandwich <laughs> so that's the one thing she's like oh my gosh my my fake boobs and then Haley wipes her makeup off with a rag to show yeah. that she's ugly or i don't know but that yeah, didn't make sense to me fake. because Haley wears like awesome makeup all the time too so wouldn't i don't know i don't know yeah <laughs> and then it just ends <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome i watched today and i was like what was this I it like, i changed my mind I, I think this is an awesome music video i mean part of it is kind of cool the other part is not as cool track number five when it rains
So this one, it's definitely one of the, I would say it's probably one of the two slower, sadder songs. I think this is the first of two. And never really knew what it was about. I assumed it was about a really bad breakup, but after digging a little bit online, it's allegedly about a friend of Haley's who committed suicide. So this is a suicide song. So obviously very dark, very heavy, very sad theme. Man, that is depressing. I didn't see it as that serious. I just kind of like used somebody's in a really bad spot, but you're trying to figure out what you can do to help them. Yep. Obviously, you hope that it doesn't come to that. Did you also think it was about a relationship? Yeah, I thought it was your partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever, is going through a bit of a rough patch. They're not the person you really know. They just are in a bit of a fog, I guess. And you're chastising yourself because you didn't see it coming. You didn't see it happening. And then they're just in this really dark place and you're wondering what you can try to do to help them and how can you be somebody that can provide support for them during that time. Yeah, that's what I had initially thought too. And it's what I always kind of thought. And I wonder if that's just how we see it because now in our adult lives, we're not facing suicide quite as often as we did. It's not as prevalent today as it was. Now relationships seem more relatable as far as a theme to us. But if we listen to this in middle school over and over again and really read the lyrics, maybe we would have picked up on more things. There is one line that stands out. You made yourself a bed at the bottom of the blackest hole. And I thought that just meant like a pit of despair. But when you think about it, it could also be like a grave and a funeral. And so it could be this person being buried six feet under in this, you know, dark grave that gets no sunlight. So I read that again. I was like, okay, that does make a little more sense. Yeah, that's definitely can hold a kind of double meaning in the grave is literally much darker. Yeah. But yeah, I just took it as almost somebody that fell down a well and there's just this little bit of light shining down, but they can't really get back to it. And you're trying to help them out of that rut. But track number six, let the flames begin. This one's hot, Mike. Real hot. From rain to flames, baby. Whoa, that's right. What a transition. All we need is some earth and some wind. <laughs> or no. <laughs> earth, wind, no. fire, and water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's literally earth, wind, fire, and rain. What are all the Pokemon types? All we need is some grass. Yeah, electric. Grass. Bug. I was going with earth, wind, and fire, and then I realized that doesn't make sense. Then he realized that it's not earth, wind, flames, and rain. <laughs> oh, and don't forget the rock type. Rock yeah. Pokemon. <laughs> and the bug type. And the ghost type. And uh, psychic. Ooh, psychic. Psychic. Like abracadabra. Hypno. 
This one, Mike, I think is one of those inspirational redemption songs. It seems to be about rising up after the lowest moments in your life and becoming stronger because of it. I got that vibe, too. (laughs) Anything else to say there, Mike? They do a good job of portraying that religious example and that religious experience in more layman's terms. This is a song where there's a lot of good lines individually, but I don't know. I was trying to read through it, and I honestly was having a hard time getting a lot of meaning out of it personally. I described it as the lyrics are like it was written by one of those generators like figure out your rap name (laughs) yeah like type in something and then it'll spit out at something else it's like every line in the song is a cool line yeah but at least for me and what you just said i can see that for sure but it was just a lot of good lines that to me didn't end up really hitting the way that a lot of these other songs do no i totally agree with you i don't think there's like one overall story or theme to it but i think It's talking about all these individual things that when you're down on your luck, when you're at your lowest points in life, and it's all about kind of conquering those low points and rising above it. And the one thing that I kept thinking about was it feels like a phoenix rising from its ashes, and there is all that flame imagery in it. So I think that's what they're trying to say, like, when you're down on your luck and when you hit rock bottom, you rise out of that a better person. And so I think, I don't know if there is like one main story or one main thread to it, but I think it's just all these threads put together to say that one thing. I definitely felt a sense of positivity from this song. I just couldn't necessarily make it relatable for me, which is fine. Everybody has songs like that. This was just one for me. I'm sure there are other people that think this song is like their favorite on the album. So yeah. There was an interesting part. You mentioned like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably a lot of symbolism in this song too. But the line, when they burn our houses down, this is what will be, oh glory. Just that thought of like your house burning down. I think that's one of the most disturbing things to happen. Just Yeah, to lose everything. Your life and everything you have just being incinerated and literally having to pick up pieces of things that you don't even know what they are anymore. They're just charred and whatever. So that that line stood out to me. Have you ever had a situation like that? Have you ever been through like a house fire or anybody you know been through a house fire? Thankfully, I have not. Uh, knock on wood. I bet you have great insurance. Yeah, at least enough to cover. <laughs> at least enough <laughs> to cover everything. But it did remind me, and this is weird because I haven't thought about this in years. There was a house on your street that had a house fire when we were yeah younger yeah and i remember it was every time i drove by it it was just very disturbing like it was just sad i remember that yeah because they lost everything it was a total loss and they literally had to clear out the lot and build it from scratch and so they just lost everything and had to totally rebuild their life kind of crazy to think about like can you imagine having to deal with that and then all your other all the other things that you have to deal with in life, all your other responsibilities, like raise your son and keep your wife happy and go to work. And at the same time, you're like, okay, I also lost all my possessions. It's crazy. Right. Not even that, but overcoming the fact that you've lost all your possessions 
and then having to coordinate the rebuilding of your house. Like, we had our bathroom redone, and that took up a lot of my time. I can't yeah. imagine rebuilding a house from scratch. Imagine all your bathrooms and all your rooms. And it's not even like you're buying a new house and you're living in your old house and it's kind of a fun thing. It's like you're in a hotel or you're living with a family member and you're just trying to get your life back to some sort of normalcy as soon as possible. Yeah, it's very stressful. And that's kind of what happened to our friend Canal too. That is what happened to Canal, yeah. His family experienced down. not a total, not a complete loss, but a very significant fire loss due to like some neighbor with a grill or something crazy like that. But yeah, I remember they were in like a apartment or a condo for a while. They were, yeah, for months. I, I do remember that. And they had to coordinate rebuilding their house. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy experience for me. Yeah. To have to deal with that. To have to go to a different house to hang out. Yeah, I to, love it. To figure out where he lived again. Yeah. I just finally had the route down and had to learn a new one. He used to live right near Greg and then he didn't. So it was annoying that they weren't right near each other anymore. You had to drive extra to pick him up. Yeah, what a headache, dude. Yeah. Track number seven, Miracle. Let's just continue the Christian themes here, Mike. Is this about the Disney movie Miracle? This is about the USA beating the Russians, Soviet Union. Soviet Union, yeah. Back in 1984. This is when I started getting the sense that the album was getting a little bit preachy. Did you feel any of those similar feelings? I did. So here's my question for you. Okay. Do you think that preachy, do you say that as a negative word or do you just say it as it is what it is? Because I usually... It is what it is. Okay. I it's okay. I mean... think of preachy being like a negative thing, which I understand where you're coming from. Like, these songs are definitely getting less secular and, and more faith-based, but I don't necessarily have an issue with it. Well, no. I'm, I'm more neutral, but I guess I was more surprised that it was that preachy. Like, I didn't remember all this like, oh, have faith redemption there's so many now kind of in a row that right. i just didn't really put that together until i really listened to it and really read through it so i was just more surprised by it yeah it's probably standing out even more just because it isn't what you remember right exactly it's a different way of looking at it than you did when you were what 16 17 years old exactly but i do think these songs have good messages i mean this is another song with a good message it's all about not giving up on somebody. I think it also had sort of this side theme of living life to the fullest, taking chances, in particular taking chances on a person that you really care about. So I, th I thought it was a good message. Great message. I really like the guitar on the intro for this one. Yeah, it is good. Really good. That was cool. And there's there's just a lot of great lines in this one. I've gone for too long living like I'm not alive. 
that is something that I think everybody can relate to. You're just going through the motions. It's like make a change, live life to the fullest. Absolutely. And I also got the theme of trying to run from your problems and trying to put things off that need to be addressed. Like, yeah, in simpler terms, just procrastinating mm-hmm. and putting so much emphasis on these small things in your life that are very doable, but you just make them seem insurmountable. Yeah. And I kind of do that a lot. So I, I like that message as well. Like just random things around the house that I put off and then it's like months and then I just do it and it takes me 10 minutes. Yeah, and you're like, why didn't I just do that from the beginning? Yeah. yeah. And you feel so silly. It is kind of funny with all those themes of like not giving up, living life to the fullest, don't procrastinate. <laughs> the song does kind of play like a self-help book. All these like pieces of advice kind of thrown at you at once. A little bit. I can't. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> but with a nice pop punk spin to it, so it's fine. You got to have that pop punk spin. I did have an issue though, Mike. You want to hear my issue? Sure. There's the line beginning with you and I, and that's poor grammar, Mike. It should be beginning with you and me. That is an issue. Yeah. So, you know what, Haley? We almost gave you a pass, but sorry, we're going to have to pinch you for your your grammar usage there. Can we let her off the hook? No. Because she was trying to rhyme? Yes, we can actually. Okay. We've seen weirder things to establish a rhyme before, that's for sure. That's true. We need to have uh, Miss Cook on to analyze grammatical errors in pop punk songs. Oh, you mean huge fan of the show, Susie Cook? Yeah. Our high school English teacher? Yearbook editor extraordinaire or yeah, moderator. That's right. We should have her on to critique all the different usage and phrasing and grammar and spelling and all these all these good things. We've come across a lot of pop punk songs that have some really good vocab words. All American Rejects in general or yeah. in particular stands out. This album doesn't have a ton of them though, so she would be disappointed. She would be, yeah. She'd be upset. <laughs> Although she does love Paramore, that much I know about her. That's because they're a great band. Track number eight, Crush, Crush, Crush. Which is my favorite song, Mike. It's the third single, so that makes sense. You avoided it last week, but you do have a history of liking the singles, Keenan. It's uh, something I avoid, or at least I try to avoid, and it's inescapable. But You're ready to mingle with the singles. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. This was a great song. Still is. It was one that I was actually somewhat obsessed with back in the day. But listen, the theme of it, My interpretation, I'm going to be honest, it's a little left field. I think it's about a crush.
I think it's actually about Crush the soft drink. Orange Crush? Orange Crush, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm into it. Yeah, I think she just loves Orange Crush. There's not enough good pop punk songs about soda. Yeah, there should be more, really. Also, we should just go on record and say we are a soda podcast. None of that pop nonsense. No, we're not from the Midwest or wherever they say that. What if we called ourselves the Soda Punk Project? Let's change the name today. I'm in. Yeah. Can you get some new stickers, please? So there's there's no misunderstanding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back to the song. Uh, <laughs> soda? Uh, I thought it was a great episode. Then they went on this soda tangent, and it was just really <laughs> weird. <laughs> the reason that I like this song so much is it is kind of a different sounding song. We talked earlier on about how Musically and stylistically, a lot of the songs are different. This one is, again, really, really different. It's sort of a slower but heavier song, but also has some like dancey aspects to it. Like the bridge is almost like a dance beat. So mm -hmm. it goes really back and forth, totally different tempos. Thematically, what's it about? Do you know? Or do you have a, an idea? You have a crush and... They either have no idea you have a crush on them, or they're not interested, or they're trying to play hard to get. Whoa, yeah. The line, if you want to play it like a game, it's kind of like, okay, I'll play your game. Let's do it. Yeah, I thought similar thing. She likes the guy, and he's too afraid to admit that he has the same feelings. I also thought it could be about two people who they both like each other, but for whatever reason, they're not in positions where they can admit it. Like they're both currently dating somebody, which I think is actually a situation that happens more often than you would expect in real life. Especially with crushes. Like you can have a crush on different people. It doesn't always have to mean that you want to leave who you're with and, you know, completely break their heart for your crush. I think there's a, there's a spectrum of crushes, you know? Yeah, who do you have a crush on today, Mike? I don't know her name, which is... <laughs> Tough start, but okay. I like where this is headed. Ben Affleck's ex-wife or ex-girlfriend, Anna Delamos. Oh, yeah. Do you know who that is? Yeah, they like just broke up, right? Yeah, they broke up last month. Okay. I just remembered I watched Knives Out last summer, and I just thought she was fantastic in it, but I didn't realize that's who she was. Mm -hmm. so then i saw all these like there's all these pictures of them after the news came out that they broke up i'm like man she is just so adorable yeah so you currently have a crush on her mm -hmm. gotcha okay cool which is an innocent crush an unrealistic crush i mean right like that's that's a non-threatening crush regardless mike i'm telling abby and you're gonna be in big trouble you're going to have to tell her because Lord knows she's not listening to this episode. <laughs> I know. Even though she literally just poked her head in and was present for part of it. But yeah, that's true. You're right. Who's your crush? Oh, say your real crush. You have to have a real crush. My real crush? Yeah. I don't want to admit it. I'm too nervous. What if this is what you need? You what know what we should do? I've got a wild idea. I'll reveal it on Patreon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. I'll admit who it is, but... Let's um let's make that premium content. That proves my point because 
I'm an old man, married, settled down, and my crushes are more like cutesy, stupid things. Your crush could mean mine are real people. Yeah, it could uproot your entire life, your friend group, perhaps. Whoa, maybe backstab somebody. Interesting. Maybe I'll lose track of all my friends. Yeah, yeah, could be. I do have one kind of real life story about this theme of two people who might have a crush on each other, but can't act upon it because of external circumstances. Our old pal, former guest of the show, Charlie Kelly, Ah. when he first met his current wife, she was dating somebody. And I think at the time, Charlie was also dating somebody and they were just kind of friends and they met each other, but they both kind of realized there was this weird chemistry between them. And I think Charlie at the time accepted that nothing could happen because obviously they were dating different people. And then a couple years later, he just so happened to bump into her again and they were both newly single and sparks flew. Wouldn't you and know? And a couple years later, they're married. So kind of crazy. It started with that little innocent crush and became a full-fledged real relationship. That's fantastic. And once again, congratulations, Charlie. Yeah. We miss you, Charlie. Come back on the show, please. That's one of those situations where you- is it worth the risk? And it wasn't, I guess. It could have, that could have really hurt a lot of people's feelings. And it still ended up working out. That's like the perfect scenario. Yeah. You just have to play the waiting game sometimes. What do you make of the line they taped over your mouth, scribbled out the truth with their lies, your little spies? Because that always stuck out to me as an interesting line, but I could never really relate it back into the rest of the song. If you're looking at it through the lens of, the girl has a crush on a guy and the guy is too afraid to admit his feelings, then I take it as those people that they're referring to are his friends and his friends are the ones that are maybe influencing him to not share his feelings. Maybe they're spreading rumors about the girl. Maybe they're saying you're better than she is. Find somebody else. So I always thought she's talking about his friends as manipulating him. I buy that. Your little spies are like your captors. Right. Cool. So quick note about the music video, Mike. Also, another weird one in my opinion. Again, Mm -hmm. I think them performing in the middle of the desert is kind of cool. It's a different scene. There's, you know, all these kind of funky things surrounding them. But the other part of the music video is these people that are dressed like they're in the movie Mad Max wearing all these like weird futuristic suits of armor, essentially just spying on the band and creeping on them. Don't quite get it. There's not much more to it than that. <laughs> They're, yeah, that's really the spies, it. So the band's playing in the desert and the spies are across the desert in this, it's not even a house or a shack. It's just random stuff, like a, just a pile of crap. It's like people from Mad Max, they like gathering junk. Right, because those yeah. are the only possessions they can have, yeah. Just a bunch of knickknacks. And, yeah, they're just looking at the band. And then later on in the video, it turns out that the spies are the band. And <laughs> they just come over and they topple the instruments and kind of mess around with the guitars and the drums. And that's the end. Either we're missing something, A, totally obvious, or B, totally just cerebral and deep that it's going over our heads or I guess C, it's just not that interesting. Not sure. It could be a combination of all of those. Yeah. Something 
that I didn't realize the first time watching it, but made it make more sense after the fact is Jeremy Davis stated in an interview that the group was not able to fully finish the video. And so some shots were just repeated because a large sandstorm set in a few hours into recording the video. So maybe it's unfinished is what you're saying. Right. When I was watching it, there are scenes that just repeat. Like, I think the chorus just repeats the exact same film. Weird. Never picked up on that. Yeah. And that <laughs> made my, like, I got done. I'm like, my head kind of hurt. And so I think that's the reason why that it subconsciously I was like, I'm not seeing new footage throughout this video. It's just a weird, repetitive thing. You thought Paramore was gaslighting you, turning you yeah, a little crazy? Yeah, I think they were. <laughs> Track number nine, We Are Broken. This is the second slow song of the album. Also got sort of a Christian feel from this one, too. I saw this one as their ballad. Okay, yeah. It's a song to me that's growing up and losing your innocence and longing to have that feeling back again of a more carefree, less stressful life and realizing that you never really appreciated the innocence you had until it's gone. And trying to replace that somehow, whether it's through finding love or finding protection. But it's just a weird thing that's gone. I thought it could be either individually about losing your innocence, or I thought it could also be in a relationship, kind of losing that sense of passion, essentially about a failing relationship. She's admitting that it's broken and can't be restored and what happened to us, what happened to me. I think depending on how you read the lyrics, it could go either way. I like where your head's at because I do think you can find multiple meanings in this one. What must we do to restore our innocence and all the promise we adored? So that idea of promise, like the promise of a fulfilling life, the promise of a fulfilling relationship, they share a lot of similar ties. Yeah. And I thought of when you're younger and Everybody's like, oh, you can be whatever you want to be, or you can do anything you want to do. And a lot of times you look back on your life and it's like, what step did I put out of place to not be an astronaut? Yeah. Mike, when you were a child in grade school, what did you want to be when you grew up? I remember in kindergarten, I said an artist. Any specific type? Just an artist. So hmm. I guess technically I still am an artist. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. In many ways. You're also a fartist. <laughs> based on last week's episode i'm pretty sure i just liked coloring oh, okay yeah. or painting yeah in that case i also wanted to be an artist yeah i remember your art actually i remember everybody had glasses in your pictures 
You drew everyone with glasses. Well, at least I drew myself with glasses. I remember you drawing everybody with glasses. Am I wrong about that? I'm, there's no way to prove it, but I don't we'll know. We'll have to ask your parents if we have any uh, data on that. What did you want to be? I think I wanted to be an ice hockey player. I think I was obsessed with hockey at the time, and I loved the Flyers. And I think I was like, okay, I'm going to be an athlete, and I'm going to be a hockey player. Right. The Flyers and the Phantoms. That's right. I did love the Phantoms. That's why I want to be a Phantoms player, because you don't want to shoot too high, you know? Yeah, you didn't want the extra added pressure of, of the pros. Yeah. You loved ice hockey so much. This is something we'll have to dig up for the Instagram post. I hope it still exists. But for the longest time, your family had a beautiful portrait of the three Clark children posing. It was hung above the fireplace in your living room. Yeah. And each of you had an item from your favorite sport. I think, and I don't even know if you had ice skates or not, but I think some... I didn't. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Somebody had a lacrosse stick and then somebody had... Can you just go through it? So I, <laughs> yeah. I guess you had you had already grown past that that dream. Yeah, this was later, unfortunately. But um, Chelsea, who was a runner, she had like running shoes. I, I'm pretty sure. Boring. Yeah, pretty boring. Shane was a fencer, so he had a sword, which was pretty sick. Sick. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, I was a stud lax bull, so I had a lacrosse stick. Okay, so that's what it was. Yeah, there you go. So you have multiple dreams. Yeah. But back then, I really wanted to be a hockey player. And that's part of what growing up and living life is, is you got to walk the fine line between doing something you really want to do and sustaining a lifestyle that allows you to eat and drink water and (laughs) sleep in a bed at night. Yeah. In that order. Yeah, I like that. Or you had to be really skilled and really lucky. True. Which we weren't. And my mom tells me otherwise, but I just don't know if I was artistically gifted enough (laughs) to be an artist. Again, we'll get some data on that and we'll share. Track number 10, Fences. Speaking of fencing, here we go. Let's dive in. Shano. Shano, what up? This one was actually pretty cool. This one... It was. Once again, had a totally different sound to it. It was more folksy and bluegrassy, especially the drum beat. The drum beat just kind of screams like that classic bluegrass drum sound. Is her name Haley Williams or Taylor Swift Williams, Keenan? <laughs> Yikes. Do you like um, how I interrupted you to make, to <laughs> make, to make that, that joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also could sense, I could see it in your eyes halfway through. You're like, all right, where do I go from here? How do I recover? This can go Um, only one of two ways. 
But it was reminiscent of the sound from a couple of the bands and the songs that we've discussed before. Yellow Card had that song View From Heaven, which had kind of a bluegrass beat and sound to it. And then mm-hmm. also My Chemical Romance's Hang Em High, which was like kind of a Western feel. I, I would put this into that category. This would kind of fall into that bucket. Absolutely. I had the exact same thought process. I think a lot of times I'm sure a band is just trying to like hit a refresh or something. It's like, we've written a bunch of these songs. Let's try a different style and just see what comes out of that. And yeah, I think in this case, I really like the song. I love this song. The song's really good. And it's not one of the ones I remembered, but I found myself really digging it going back. Yeah. And the theme is also something we've come across. It's Paramore kind of looking internally and it's self-reflective. It's them commenting on their fame and their celebrity and kind of always being trapped in the limelight, which Fall Out Boy did a lot of last week in From Under the Cork Tree. Mm -hmm. And I think Paramore actually went a step further. And the way they describe it is basically being stuck in a cage like a zoo animal on display for everybody to just sort of gawk at. Like that's how far they went to explain the situation that they're currently in. Right. The line that that stuck out most to me was, it's obvious that you're dying, just living proof that the camera's lying. I thought that was really cool. Just, you know, you see all these beautiful, glossy photos of us in magazines or billboards, album inserts, but on the inside, we're people just like you, and we struggle just like you. And it's sometimes that makes it harder because we always have to look beautiful and stay positive and be a positive influence for our fans and that's a lot to do on a day-to-day basis and then there's the lines you can't turn back because this road is all you'll ever have and they sort of allude to the fact that once you are in the limelight once you have a certain level of celebrity there really is no going back and i thought that's a pretty deep message and that's a pretty interesting way to look at it whereas Once a certain number of people know who you are and see what you do, you'll never have your innocence or your privacy again. Like you can just be famous for a few years and years later, people might still recognize you in a public place. Like you'll never have that sense of anonymity back. I thought that was kind of crazy to think about. Think about how focused people are on child stars that it's not that people want them to burn out, but... You constantly see news stories about so-and-so from this old TV show was seen in public doing this. And it's just like this morbid interest in how are these people's lives screwed up? Like these people that used to be everywhere and now they're only in the news when it's something bad. Right. And that's something that goes along with it. It's like you're always going to be famous, but it's not necessarily always going to be for these positive things that you try to project out there. Right. And just going back to how young Haley Williams was when Paramore started out and with this album, I think they blew up. Looking back, it's like that's your youth and a lot of time that you really need to discover yourself and just live a normal life that's taken from you. And there's a lot of positives that come from that. You know, you're touring the world, you're making amazing music, but there's always going to be the, the negatives that that go along with it as well. 
And I think the main message is pointing to those negative aspects. And I think Haley Williams and the rest of the band, they're concerned about that. So it's an interesting sounding song and it's an interesting message. And then track 11, I think, was a cool follow-up to that. Track 11 is Born For This. They're acknowledging that they're constantly being scrutinized and there's a certain amount of pressure on them at all times, but they're saying, you know what, we're born for this, we're ready to take this on. So I think it's basically a follow-up to the previous song, and I think it's essentially answering the questions from the previous song. I like the way you put that together. I didn't really notice that when I was listening, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And this is just an awesome way to end the album. There was a couple downer songs but this is just i think a really positive outlook like okay we said our piece we were born for this we're ready for it come what may it's a good hype up song there's also some really good singing in the background there's really good chanting and i didn't realize until this week doing some research on this album that all the singers all the background singers and the people kind of chanting with them they're all fans. They are people who won a contest that they held back in the day on YouTube, and they picked a handful of their top fans that I guess could also sing well, flew them out, put them in the recording studio, and let them sing on this album and sing on this track. Oh, no way. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't that cool? You're right about the chanting. I think it really enhances the song. And this is another one where I just bet when they play it live, it's got to be so great to just sing along with everybody. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that this is a great like hype-up song because I swear to God, I have heard this in a commercial recently and I just cannot remember where I heard it. So really? Recently? I swear. And huh. it could have been... Did you Google it? I did. I couldn't find anything. It could have been uh. something as quick as sometimes when the NFL games go to break, they yeah. play more pop punk type songs, which I love. I've noticed so that. It's awesome. It could have been on one of those games. And I was like, oh, power more. But it also could have been like a preview for the playoffs or something like that. This would I be quite, quite the deep track that they would throw in there. It was the past month or two. 
So it's fascinating. I don't know. Anybody remembers, please let me know. Yeah, we may have a special prize for you. Or I may just be making up because it is such an awesome hype up song. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, that's true. Overall, really good album. I think there are a lot of cool messages in it. I think there are a couple cool stories too. Didn't remember all the faith-based themes. Definitely picked up on more of that re-listening to it. But I think those are equally as meaningful as some of the other more pop-punk juvenile themes that we've covered so far on this podcast. This album definitely helped put them on the map with breakout songs like Misery Business, That's What You Get. Uh, It was a great sophomore follow-up to their first album, and I think paved the way for a really successful career, even if it was sort of surrounded with this internal drama that everybody kind of knew about and followed along with. They will always have their place within this genre. I think their most recent album came out in 2017, and like we had mentioned, they haven't toured since 2018. With covid It's kind of hard to see or determine where everybody stands just because bands haven't really had the option to tour. So you're not really sure if when touring starts again, we'll see where Paramore's at. Are they going to start playing shows and working on new stuff? That remains to be seen. But in the meantime, Haley Williams has kind of embarked on a solo career and she's been putting out music as Haley Williams, not as Paramore. So... And that has been very well received as well. So I'm interested to see where that takes her. I think she's an immensely talented songwriter and singer. And the fact that she's able to keep finding success with no matter what she does is something I'm very happy to see. And let's not forget the huge crush that we have on her, Mike. That'll always be one of our crush, crush, crushes. Well, that was a good one, Mike. I hope you're ready for para more episodes coming up because we have a really good one for you next week. <laughs> That's too funny, Keenan. <laughs> I thought Haley Williams was in the misery business, but this episode was actually quite enjoyable. <laughs> That's right. It was. And you know what's even more enjoyable, Mike? Next week, Reliant K's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you say that? Do you do a long mm-hmm or a short mm-hmm? Oh, I go mm-hmm. 
That's how you should do it because it's two M's in H and then another two M's. That's right. Long M's. Mm-hmm would be M-H-M. Mm-hmm <laughs> is double M-H, double M. I'm happy you've put so much thought into this. I'm excited for that one, Keenan. As you know, Reliant K is an all-time band for me. Yeah. While we're talking about Christian bands, might as well just roll right through another one. If we thought that there was some religious undertones on this one, just wait till next week. We'll get some more. Where can the folks reach us, Mike? In between now and then, feel free to reach out to us on the World Wide Web. Poppunkproj at gmail.com. On Instagram and Twitter, at poppunkproject. And I did check since last week. We actually have, at the time of this recording, 14 Twitter followers. That's huge. I said four last week, so we more than tripled that number. That's incredible. At this rate, we'll have how many billion by the end of the month? I also realized I shouted out Pootie, which, you know, we love Pootie, but I forgot to mention way back during season one, our old buddy Jack Minari from St. Joe's Prep Days. Mm -hmm. He gave us a very nice shout out on Twitter. So Yeah, he did. Thank you, Jack. Six months later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, way too late. He's definitely not listening anymore. But I do also want to say thanks, everybody, for the continued support. I know that our patrons continue to support us through the break, and people have been continuing to share us on social media. So we do appreciate it, and we love talking to you guys about pop punk music and hope to uh, continue to do it. At least one more week, right? <laughs> At least. That's right. Thank you all. We hope you had the time of your lives. Good riddance. Goodbye. I was, was trying to do the hallelujah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no... <laughs> Valiant effort, but I don't know if anybody's going to get that. Oh, shit. All right. <laughs>